Thursday, 7.17 p.m. Now, I was talking to one of my LinkedIn contacts. I think this would be a good idea to work for his organization, you know, to help children and everybody. And he was telling me the way to do this, well, because he says if, if you can come work for our organization and live in, you know, one year in Kenya, and I'm like, that would be a good idea, but how am I going to do that? Well, if I make a contribution, he can help me with that and make the arrangements, because I said, I would love to work for your organization. It's a chance for me to prove to people that I can and will do these missions, starting in one area and then working my way over. Um... Because I think it's important for people to help. And not just through donations and not through GoFundMe pages and concerts. I I really don't think that that's going to help. Part of me thinks that how you give back shows the type of person you are. So where I come from, where I come from, my background is humble. And people say, how did you get the notion to give back? Well because that's how I was brought up. When you're brought up and your parents teach you to be kind, to always help others in need, to give back, because that's what makes you a human being, a true human being. Now, a lot of people say, yeah, I'm a human being. Well, what do you do? You donate? Everybody donates. GoFundMe pages? Eh, not really fond of those because I think people overuse them for too many things. Sometimes they're ridiculous too. And then you think, well, we can do concerts and benefits. Yeah, that's been done. I don't think that that's very helpful. The real work is physically going down to a continent and physically going there in person to help people. Because if you say to me, well, yeah, I can do it from up here. Well, you really can't. How do you get that? See, for me, I would love to do it over there to be exposed to be a part of a group and organization and maybe one day down the line because I've always said I want to get a trophy if you ask me well what kind of compensation do you want a trophy with my name on it humanitarian of the year award you know they have this like awards gala and then they like present all the names of the people who've done their service in certain parts of the world and you figure well I've done my part for cancer and for other things as well it's not just for illness though so you have to understand something yes cancer is a big part of it why well three things number one I was affected by cancer when my father passed away from lung cancer so I'm a survivor someone who passed away from the disease number two I went through it I went through breast cancer and I survived it so I'm thinking to myself yeah I want to help people like myself who are going through it at this very moment but they don't have they don't have the necessary resources in other words that care down there if you go to a hospital just to get treated it's expensive they expect money from you you know I mean it's like how can a family who's barely surviving, making ends meet, putting a roof over their heads and food in their, in their children's stomach and trying to get a good quality education, and then on top of that, someone is sick, but when you go to the hospital, instead of them treating you, which they're supposed to do, they expect you to pay up front. How does that work? Now, depending on where you live in another part of the world, And depending on the area, because there are places where the insurance is very affordable, but then there are other places that are not so much. And you think to yourself, well, why is it that one area you can go in and not have to worry about the cost, 
but then you go into a completely different area and you have to worry about the cost. See, I don't get that. I think the cost down the board, there should be a payment plan for families who are struggling. In other words, families who are struggling to make ends meet, families who don't have a very, like if the head of the household does not have a good job, he only, he only can support his family but when it comes to health care, the costs are extremely ridiculous. And they're the same here, too, in this part of the world. I'm sorry, not everybody, quote, can afford the high cost of medical care. I think some of the, some of the things that doctors charge, like if you go for a checkup and say if they want you to do x-rays or blood tests, these prices are so ridiculous. For a simple blood test or for an x-ray. Now, if you have insurance, it gets covered, but sometimes insurance doesn't cover everything. What if you need to do major surgery, you need to get a, a, a crucial operation? Not many areas cover that. I'm sorry to say it. I'm sorry to say it. Not many areas cover that. So you say to yourself, you say to yourself, well, where am I going to go to get this life-saving treatment? Well, the only thing I can think of is in your native land. Why should you have to go to another country to get an operation? See, in some parts of the world, that's what they make you do. Because if they don't have the resources, they don't have the equipment, they don't have the proper setup, you physically have to go to another country to get an operation. I think that's, that should be changed right then and there. I think everything should be done in your native land. Why should you force a family to go get that special medical treatment or that operation and go into another country to do it? You know, it's not easy. Not many people can afford the airfare and, and then the costs of, of flying over there, getting into the hospital, getting that treatment, coming back. Then what happens if the person dies along the way? Then what? Who's responsible for that? You have to think about these things. When I think of, of when I went through my illness, they didn't ask me, well, we can't treat you unless you pay, pay us. Really, I thought you're supposed to treat and then pay. Now you're doing the opposite. See, I, that's why I do not like doctors and hospitals per se. Everything is money-based. And even for the poorest of the poor, you think, well, why do I think we should have free health care all around? Not just here, but all over the world. Free health care. But then there's a disadvantage and an advantage to that. Some people think, well, yeah, that's good to have free health care, but then there are places where you need to go to another country to get an operation because of, they don't have the right equipment or the right medication to treat that person. Really? See, I, I, I don't understand. I think that should be changed all around. I think you should be able to go into your own native land to get an operation, a critical operation, Instead of having to fly out of the country to another country to get that life-saving operation. By the time you do that and come back, what happens if you get sick again? What happens if it didn't work? What happens if you basically die? You have to think, put these things into consideration and then everything's affordable. Well, I'm sorry, everything's expensive. Unless, of course, you're the type of person that, oh, money doesn't mean anything. You've got all this money in the world and I can do all of this. Great, wonderful. But not everybody falls into that category. I'm more for the people that want to help them save their lives from an illness because right now they are not in a hospital getting treated. They're treating themselves. How they're doing it, I don't know. You know, when, when it comes to cancer, you need to be under a doctor's care and you need to have that medication, that life-saving treatment. There is no way you could tell me, yeah, I'm treating my cancer, but how are you doing it? With what? See, I don't understand that and I don't think I ever will. My thinking is this, when there comes a time 
that we could set up a payment plan for everybody, it would be at that moment. In other words, if I go in with a family, go in with, say, whoever has cancer, whether it's a female, a male, a child, whoever, we both go into the hospital together, and we make sure that that doctor, before he says, you got to have payment. No, I'm going to stop you right there. You don't put a price tag on a person's life, number one. Number two, you took a Hippocratic oath to save people. Isn't that your job? Then do that. Do your job, and then we will talk about payment. Right now, this family can't afford it right now. Can you not understand? Were you not once poor? I'm sure you were. Before you became a doctor, I'm sure your background, you, your family, yourself, had a struggle. I know that from my experience with my family. Again, we were not rich. If we were rich, well, we wouldn't be having to, hey, you know, not being able to make the payment. We could do that. We can go to a doctor, get ourselves treated, not worry about the bill. But not everybody has that luxury. Not everybody is, quote, rich. And you could save money and put it aside for a medical emergency. That's what my father did. That's the reason why he had two jobs. One job wasn't going to cut it. So he had to have two jobs, and he, he wasn't the type of person to spend. He was a saver. So he would save money, put it aside for an emergency. If somebody needed to go to the hospital or for whatever other crisis may come up. And that's a smart thing to do. And we actually take a page from his book. But still, you wonder, what is going on in the world today that you can't even, as a doctor, as a doctor, don't turn away someone because they can't make that payment. Don't do that. People in the family are dying. They need that critical care. You know what they're doing right now? They're, su they're suffering in silence. They're slowly killing themselves in silence because you refuse to do your job. Shame on you. I'm sorry, I have a beef with doctors. I just think that all they see are the dollar signs. As soon as somebody walks in through the door, potential patient, dollar signs light up. Now you won't actually see it because people are like, yes, she said that they have dollar signs in their eyes. No, no. It's just a phrase. But if you think about it, just going in even for a checkup is expensive. Remember when I took my mother to the doctor? Yeah, she had health insurance. She had Medicare and all that. But it only covers a, a percentage. The other comes out of your pocket. And I'm telling you, it is not cheap. So even if you have insurance, you're still not, you're still paying for it. You're still paying out of your pocket. But um, that's why I say it's very important, very important that we make it so that the people down there have a chance to medical treatment. In other words, if you're battling cancer, again, you need to be under a doctor's care. There's no, there's no way around it. Now, I've seen people do alternative therapy. They won't do traditional. Well, to be honest with you, that might work for some people. For me, I went the traditional route because I don't trust the whole herbal and holistic approach. Although a lot of people have done it, it didn't really make a difference. The cancer was still there. Now, you can do a combination of both. Many people have done traditional therapy, but they've also done the, the, the natural alternative. It could work. But to be honest with you, if you're battling cancer, go to the traditional route. You don't want to take a chance and play Russian roulette with your life. What if the stuff that you're using does not work? Think about it in those terms. What if it doesn't work? 
Doctors know what they're doing. They know how to treat the cancer. Now, every there's new advanced technology for every cancer that's out there. Every time you hear it on the news, there's always something, some new drug for lung cancer, colon cancer, breast cancer, prostate, all the cancers that are out there. There's always some type of new drug that hasn't yet been used on a patient, but they're experimenting. With me, the drug that they used at the time was only approved for colon cancer, but they used it on breast cancer, and guess what? That tumor completely disappeared, but that product, the, the drug alone that they used was very expensive. $10,000 for that drug, but they used it to save my life. Now, I would have thought that if they hadn't, if my insurance company had decided, oh, I don't want to pay for that cost, then I would have been dead to be honest. I would have still been fighting for my life, but they decided, hey, look, she's on our insurance plan. We have to do right by her. We have to have her life saved. You know, 35 years old, you don't want to be thinking about death. And I know my family wouldn't be able to process going through another funeral. Now, it's bad enough I lost my father to lung cancer. Now they're going to lose their baby sister or, or youngest daughter to, to lung cancer. I'm sorry, to breast cancer? No. See, that's why I said most insurance companies, depending on who your insurance provider was at the time, will not even go near that. They'll think, oh, well, we don't want to. It's like saying our clients are really not that important, so let them die. That's basically what you're saying. What's the point of having insurance if you don't care about the people that you're insuring under? Think about that. So my insurance was lucky enough that, yeah, my life was, spa- was saved. I got that second chance. And now I'm ready to tell the world what needs to be done. But you should also go in there with a positive attitude. When you go in there and you get a diagnosis of cancer, the first thing to do is, I know, be afraid. Cancer is not a death sentence. And it all depends on the type of cancer you have. Most of the cancers, about 95% of them are treatable. Now, if you have a terminal, there's a difference between terminal and non-terminal. Terminal is, yes, they can cure you, but they but they can't, it won't be completely, You you won't, You'll be treated, but it's not cured. That's what terminal is. Non-terminal is like myself. I had breast cancer, and they thought it had gone into my lungs, but it but it hadn't. But they were able to treat it, and I was cured. I had the, the life-saving medication. I had that drug. The tumor was completely gone. I was cancer-free. The other condition that I was battling was a lung condition, which again is not fatal. I've been living with this for so many years. How I got it still a mystery because there's no history of it on either side of the family. So that to me remains still a big mystery. But then again, you think to yourself, everybody in this world will get some form of cancer. We have cancer cells in our body. Now you can be the healthiest. You say, oh yeah, I exercise, I eat right, yeah, but you could still get sick. You could take all those precautions and still get sick. But don't do what I do and wait until the last, very, to last minute to think, oh, there's nothing really wrong. I'll just wait, I'll, maybe whatever is in my body will go away. No, when there's something in your body, and you do a whole, let's just if you do a whole body check from top to bottom. There's something there that wasn't there before. Have peace of mind. Get yourself checked. Because it's a matter of life and death. Okay? You don't want to take chances with your life. You don't want to play Russian roulette with your life. See, with me, I waited because at the time I didn't think it was anything serious. But then I thought, you know what? I kept, pu- I kept playing around with it and I kept, and it kept moving. And I'm like, oh, no, this is getting serious. I need to get myself into a doctor, which I did. But the diagnosis was cancer. So as you can see, I went through it. There were many times I wanted to give up, but my mother said, no, you're not doing that. I want you alive. I want you around for a long time. You're still young. You have a whole life ahead of you. 
But when you're going through pain, again, your whole quality of life changes. I don't remember ever being the age of 35 or 36. Those were the two ages I wish I, if I can go back in time and just be those two ages, I'd be a happy person. I don't remember. All I remember is being sick. Couldn't eat anything, couldn't move around, was constantly in bed, had medication because the pain was too much, was in and out of the hospital. I mean, I don't want to go through that period of my life again, but I want to go back to the age of 35, 36. I want to relive it all over without the cancer. I know we can't go back in time and do that. We can't even step back. But imagine if we could. Those are the two ages I'd want to go back to. 35, 36, because those are the two ages that I don't remember. I just remember all the sickness, the pain, going back and forth to the hospital, being in the hospital. wasn't pleasant. Now, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. But you do get through it. You've got to have a positive mindset when you go in there. And, you know, your first, it's like, hey, it's three different emotions. So the first is the diagnosis. How do you process it? Well, you could cry and scream, but what's that going to do? If you have it, you go in there with a positive attitude, say, I'm going to get this cancer treated. I'm going to fight for my life. My life is worth saving. I have a place in this world. I have value. I mean something. If you constantly make yourself believe that, you will get through it. And if you have a very good support system, again, even if you don't have a support system, you're not going to be alone. Doctors, nurses, other volunteers, even people who've survived it, like survivors, can go in there with you, hold your hand through the whole thing. But just don't have negative mentality. Don't say, oh, I can't do this. I'm not going to be able to defeat cancer. Don't give up with that type of attitude. When you have that type of attitude, you're not going to get through it. And then the last emotion is when you finally defeated cancer, but now everything is different. Now, it took me a long time to really go back to a normal life. It took me at least two years. When I finally went out into the real world, things were different. I don't even There were certain things I couldn't even remember how to do when I was under the drugs, but they were only temporary. I lost a little bit of my memory. I couldn't remember how to do things like balance a checkbook or what, what my social security number was. There's certain things I just had a hard time remembering because the drugs sometimes cloud your memory, but it's only temporary. But I remember these things now. Now it's like, wow. And then if anybody asks me, what do you remember about having cancer? Two things I hated about having the disease. Number one, couldn't move around because literally drugs make you tired. You feel like you have lead for your feet. It's like you have this heaviness in your body from all the drugs because it makes you tired. You can't, but you have to constantly move around. And they say that if you're laying in bed all the time, like when I was in the hospital the first time, I can see the bottom of my ankles were swollen and I had my feet look like Fred Flintstone because you have to move around when you have cancer. You can't always lay in bed. And I'll be honest with you, those hospital beds, I'm sorry, are very uncomfortable. They're just, I couldn't get comfortable in those beds. I wanted to be in my own room my own bed (laughs) those beds were very uncomfortable and then number two not being able to taste anything you you lose your sense of taste and smell temporarily like you can't go out and have a a a dinner or just have like one of those holiday get-togethers i couldn't taste anything and the food i couldn't even keep down my stomach was very sensitive but the drugs also made me want to not eat when i lost a lot of weight and everybody didn't recognize me and once you came over to see me like my god I would look literally like I was dead, like a corpse. I was like, literally looked like a skeleton, very, very thin. When they put me on that diet in the hospital, I still couldn't taste the food. So my mother would sneak in her soup, couldn't taste it. I was very miserable. I was like, oh my God, when am I going to get my sense of taste back? I can only, I can only take certain things, certain things like fruits I could eat and I can drink certain types of drinks 
But then there are other ones that I avoided because they just made me ill. When I think back to those times, I think and I'm grateful that I'm alive, that my mother kind of got me through it. She prayed for me day and night. God gave me a second chance. Did I miss my breast? No. As a matter of fact, I'm proud of having the battle scar because, again, this is my identifying characteristic. So if people say, do you know who Aphrodite is? Yeah, I saw her on LinkedIn Live in September. She went on, she told her story, she wants to help other people, and then at the end, she showed off her battle scar. She wasn't ashamed, she was proud. That's right, what am I ashamed of? I've had this for so long. Did I want to get the implants? Not really. See, if I would have gotten implants and then I went out and did this video, people would not have believed I had cancer. They say, I'll prove it. Or why are you telling this, this story? Why should we believe you? Why should we listen to you? So I decided that the best thing to do at that point is not get implants. But then I heard the horror story of women who have had implants and the reactions that they've had were terrible. Wow, it was just too much to take. But I will tell you one thing though, you can get through it if you have a firm belief in yourself. If you believe in yourself, Think positive. You know, positivity goes a long way. And I'm actually will be proud of speaking to a group of people who are going through this in another part of the world um, on a live video like uh, platform. So that will be interesting. I think it will be interesting because you're helping others. You never know. I've been mentioned in an article or a magazine. And hey, look, let's find her. Let's get her on a show. See, I want to do something live, like a physical live platform where I could talk about this people will see it all over the world and then before you know it you'll become you'll be discovered so I want someone to find me not the other way around because I feel like when you try to chase people down they don't want to give you the time or the day but if they discover you or if they find somehow they find you in a video that you were you know on for a couple of months or maybe a year ago they'll be like oh my god look at her look how brave she is well actually no the first time I did a live visit with my LinkedIn contact I did not show my face I wasn't ready but he was surprised I came out to the world and I talked about it and I displayed it and I was happy but I don't know if it got any response. And again, he was telling me the numbers were greater. Well, if they were greater, why am I not seeing it? You know, but I wonder about that. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, but the chance to do something good for others is still one of my greatest missions. Again, when will that be done? Well, I'm hoping sometime next year. I just don't know when. I would like to say the middle of next year. But then again, who knows? It all depends on the situation going on up here. And that's also a matter of a financial resource. You know, it would be nice if someone could say, yeah, I'm going to sponsor you. Come on down. Come to our country. Live here for about a year. Help us with this organization, you know. And then your name will be well known. And then you can go to other parts of that same area, but in other parts of the, in that continent. And you think to yourself, yeah, I can do it. If I can do it from here, I can do it from there and vice versa and vice versa and vice versa. But it's a matter of how to do it. And I've been talking with this contact. He wants me to be a part of this organization. I said, I would love to, but I really need some assistance. Give me direction and guidance on what to do. Because really, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. You know, it's a great opportunity. We'll, you know, do great things. I mean, I could probably do it from here in the United States, but I'm only one person here. And again, I really don't have any friends. So I can't have anybody helping me out. Um, the opportunity to go abroad, well, that is a big dream of mine. 
And I always wish that somebody magically say, yeah, I can get you. I could pay for the cost of your passport and visa. I could get you into the country. You could live there. I can even get you a place to stay and we could do what we have to do. I'm like, well, come on, let's do it then. You know, if I had no bills, if I had everything paid down and I saved up enough money, I could get on the next flight and just go. But unfortunately, that can't happen yet, but I'm sure it will down the line. That's why I'm trying to find jobs and I'm trying to get myself situated and, you know, whoever else can actually help me out, that would be tremendously, that would be great. But we'll see what happens, you know? So I don't know. But anyway, I'm going to leave it at that because it's almost 8 o'clock. And I'm going to maybe talk about another topic. I don't know if I'm going to do it tonight because it's pretty late. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. I don't know. It all depends on how I feel. I wasn't feeling well yesterday. I had a very high fever. Fever last night broke late last night. I'm, I'm doing better. I think I got it from somebody who made me sick. That's what I think. Because I, I don't remember. Yeah, I think somebody did that. Somebody made me really sick. I'm like, oh my God. You think people would follow protocol? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. It's not a cold, that's allergies. Now the weather over here is very cold. Today is one of the coldest days ever. That's another thing. I don't want to be in the cold anymore. I want to be in a warmer zone. I want to be in an area where it's comfortable. So that's why I want to move abroad and hopefully find something like that. But anyway, so I'm going to let you guys go. So remember, be positive, be strong, stay safe. God bless all of you. Take care. Eight thirteen on a Thursday. Now I'm going to do this. This is the last podcast of the night. Let's talk about. Well, yesterday I talked about fathers and daughters, but I want to really reflect on my mother because. There are certain things that I don't want to talk about. I mean, I'll admit that to you. I want to try to talk about the good things. The things that she taught me in life. The things that I learned from her when I was a little girl up until a certain point. I think that, again, the bond between me and her really didn't start till after my father passed. Now you're going to say, but you didn't love your mother when you were a little girl? No, I loved my mother when I was a little girl. I just had a closeness with my father. I mean... You know, and then the fact of the matter is my older sisters, both of them had more of a bond with my mother than I did. Again, the bond didn't really start till after my father passed away. But I loved her before, you know. She was always there when I was sick. Even when I got older and I couldn't really, like, take care of myself. Mom, could you get me a glass of juice? Mom, I don't feel well. She would just do things to make me feel better. Or when I'd come home from work and she knew that I would have one of those stressful days, she would make my, one of my favorite dishes. She was a really good cook. See, that's the thing I miss about my mother. Not just, you know, her presence in the house, but her cooking. I was trying to replicate some of her recipes, which is a little hard to do because she never really followed a recipe. And if she did, well, it was in her own language, which I couldn't follow. I would have to try to translate what was in the recipe, and that's a little difficult to do. 
And the other thing was, well, I just miss spending time with her. Um, sometimes we have our card games during the weekends because, again, I didn't have any place to go. But she was worried about me because I didn't have any friends. I didn't have anybody to go out with. And I think that it bothered her that I wasn't, quote, going out with anybody. And I said, I don't know, Mom. I don't know what it is that people don't want to be my friend. I don't know if it's me. I mean, I think I'm approachable. But then again, you think there could be other qualities that people are looking for in friends. And I'm like, like what? You have to be outgoing? You know, being an introvert isn't all that bad. A lot of people think, oh, introverts, you have to watch out for them. Like, I heard this in school. You got to watch out for the quiet ones. Yeah, why? The quiet ones are mental. Come on. Stop labeling people. Stop doing that. You know, introvert, extrovert, it doesn't really matter. I think I'm considered a little bit of both, depending on the type of people you're around. But I wouldn't want to be around people that are, quote, drawing too much attention because when they draw too much attention, then they put that attention on you and you kind of feel uncomfortable. See, I'm a private person. Me and my mother were the type of people who would go to church and we would be the only ones that didn't know anybody. Everybody that the church knew somebody. Like at the end of the service, everybody would get together. It was just me and her. We really weren't fond of, I guess, of any of the people there. Some of them were, quote, very rich. I mean, you could tell the ones that had money versus the ones that didn't. And then you have all the, all after the church service, they would go down to the church hall and have like a little, like a, a luncheon. We never went. We just kept to ourselves. Was that a good thing? Well, I don't know. I, to be honest with you, I didn't really like being around certain people in church because I just think that they were too high and mighty. You know, they show off their, their fancy vehicle, the way they dress, the way they act. It's like, why would you want to be around people like that? And they think that they're better than you. And I'm thinking, mm, I don't think you are. See, me and my mother, but we didn't show it. We were comfortable. There's nothing wrong with that. But I looked at the people around me and I'm thinking, is that all you guys care about is money and what you have versus what you don't have? And you think to yourself, how did you get that money? Were you born rich? Or did you come into it through struggle and, 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 and failure? Because the only way I could see it, in, in the church that we went to was in a very exclusive area. So again, a lot of rich people lived in the area. It was a rich town. If you look in the parking lot, you see all the fancy Mercedes and BMWs and all the high-end luxury cars. And I pull up and with my, with my Elantra, <laughs> which to me, well, it was a car. I loved it. It got me from point A to point B. Did I really care what people saw in me? No. See, that's another thing I really wanted to touch base on before I get into it with my mom and my relationship with her. When you're driving down the street, and somebody pulls up next to you at a red light, and they look at you. They give you a look, and you're like, so they look at their vehicle, what they're driving, a fancy schmancy vehicle versus what you have. I'm like, I can look over and say, well, this vehicle gets me to point A to, B, point, point a to point B with no problems. Can I say the same for your car? Oh, I'm sorry. You have to take your car to a special place to get it serviced, right? Because you can't take it to a regular mechanic, God forbid. And these people look down at you, you know, they have this like look. And I'm like, seriously? Do you really think I care? <laughs> I don't. But if you're going to give me attitude, well, then I can tell you my attitude is twice as better than yours. I'm more compassionate around people. What are you? Stuck up with your nose in the air, conceited? 
Come on, seriously? Because I've always wondered about that. Now, the thing that I really want to make clear is this. Everybody is being put into category, classes, statuses. You think to yourself, okay, so I live in a town and it's all mixed. What do I mean by mixed? Rich, poor, middle class. But let's not label people because when you start labeling people, you're going to put them in those groups. Let's, okay, let's keep the rich from one group, then comes the middle class, then comes the poor. No, people are people. Stop putting statuses on them. And how do you know who's who? By the what they wear. So in other words, if I say go into a high-end store and I'm dressed comfortably and I want to purchase something, are they going to take one look at me and say, oh, I'm sorry, you must be in the wrong store. I don't think you can afford it. Oh, really? And what makes you say that? because I'm not rich. What makes you think I don't have money? I mean, think about it. You, I get those looks from salespeople. Back in the day, I think me and my niece had gone into uh, Nordstrom. I'm telling you, going into that store, all eyes were on you. Because if you couldn't afford any of that stuff, they would kind of like push you out the door. And I'm like, excuse me here, I thought I had the right to be here just like anybody else. Why are you looking at me? You think I don't have money? Then you start pulling out the money, and they're like, oh, we're sorry, we're sorry. No, it's too late now, because I don't want to be in a store where I'm going to get that type of treatment. By the way, where's your manager? Maybe I should start complaining of how you treat people. You judge them by how they look. That's wrong. So if I come in comfortably dressed, and I have money, but you, you wouldn't know that because of the way you're looking at me. See, I don't like people that are conceited and stuck up. You could tell. They give you a certain look. They look at you like you're nothing. And I really don't want to be around people like that. Because if you think about it, when everybody says, yes, I won the lottery, but has it changed you? Remember this. If you knew someone who was like you at one point, then they win like a big lottery. Their whole personality changes, and they think that they're better than you. They dress differently. They drive a fancy car. They, they upgrade to a nicer home. But you're still the same person. You haven't changed just because you haven't, you know, you can lose that money pretty quick, and people do. People are, should be responsible when you win a lottery. Think about what you're going to do with that money before you go out and spend it all, because you can, if you can become easily rich, then down the line you can become back to where you were, poor, with no money. Now, I know it's really hard to win the lottery, but it's not impossible. If you keep on playing the same numbers, eventually you will get the big jackpot. But again, you think to yourself, but does money really make people happy? Because I think, yes, you need it to survive, but it's not all important. In other words, yes, you need it if you have bills and you have to, you know, you know, get things in life. I'm not going to say the finer things in life because, again, that's all material wealth. And to be honest with you, I'm not crazy about that. So me and my mother were in a class by ourselves, getting back to my mother. We were comfortable. I mean, she told me how she grew up. Her and, her, her and my father were, again, born in the Great Depression, and they their childhoods were robbed, and they had to grow up quickly to help support their families, to get odd jobs. My mother became a second mother because her father decided, well, I don't want to be a father and husband, and left. How sad is that? That's very sad and very, 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 uh, what's the word I want to use? Shameful to do that, especially at that time. Because you think you need the head of the household to help you 
get through this. You have a wife and children to support. You decide, I don't want to become a husband. I don't want to become a father. So now she stepped in to become a second parent at her age. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, that must have been really difficult. She didn't complain. She helped her mother out. She dished out the discipline. She helped out with her siblings. And that's wonderful. But you know what? You lose a sense of who you are. You yourself are a child. You think about, okay, I'm going to put my oldest daughter. I forget how old she was when she did that. Probably as a teenager. So you got to grow up quickly. You had to take care of your family. And you had to help out your mother. So you had to be like a, quote, second parent, mother, a substitute father, mother. So you think about that. That's really hard to do. Because you yourself don't have a life. You're taking care of your siblings, making sure they go to school, making sure they don't get into trouble. That's a hard job to put on someone at that age. And I think to myself, I'm so grateful <laughs> that that didn't happen. And we didn't live in those times because that would have been tremendous. I mean, yes, I would have helped out as much as I could. But I still think that it, it would have been very difficult because I think to myself, when did you have time to just have a life of your own when you're constantly like watching over your siblings? There was a big age difference between her and her sister, my aunt. Uh, I think there was a 15-year a difference or longer. I don't remember now, to be honest with you. There, there, there's a big age gap. My mother was the oldest. Then came my uncle. I think it was like two years, three years, and then like the, the, the youngest, which is my aunt. There was a big age difference. And I looked at a picture of her. I'm like, boy. You could tell. It was like, wow. So, you think to yourself, like, my grandmother, well, she had her first child when she was 27. Because my mother was born in, in 1927. So, my, my grandmother was 27 when she had her first child. I think she got married at a young age, though. And then she had, you know, had her first child at 27 and then continued on with four other children. So there were five of them in all. But of course, the husband decided, I don't want to be around to take care of my family and my wife, so I'm just going to cut out. Well, I actually believe that he had a mistress, though. And that mistress had kids. So he kind of had a second family that nobody knew about. Until it was known about. Because in the villages where they lived, oh yeah, gossip spread. Did you hear about so-and-so? It's like, I could imagine at that time what it was like growing up at that time. And having all that village gossip. Because it's like, wow. I didn't know. It became like a big news flash, you know. And then you think, wow, now the family's going to get judged. Because now the husband just is not responsible for taking care of his family. He's out doing whatever he's doing with another woman and her family. So that's more important, right? So you ditch your own wife and, and children to go with your mistress who has children. It's probably the father of those children, too. Who knew? I don't know. But I know that when I used to talk to my mother about my grandfather, she would clam up. She didn't want to talk about him. Because he was the, she, it just, the relationship, they didn't have a relationship. And she, I guess she hated him for what he did. I don't blame her. I'd be, I, I would be upset too. My father did this, that just, did that to us, decided, hey, I don't want to be a husband and father. I'm just going to leave. That would have been a big struggle. Because then how are you going to take care of the family if there's no head? See, that's why... For me, and I've always told this, so talk about this, my mother said, if I get married, I want to have a husband because I wouldn't be able to take care of children alone. 
you know, raise them and bring them to school. You know, you have to have a head of the house. You have to have both. Children need both parents, a mother and a father. And then there are some that Adam is like, oh, well, you know, I had a husband, but he didn't treat me right. So I took my, well, that's different. That's like different circumstances. But in all reality, it is hard to raise children when you're by yourself. I don't know how people do it, though. I've seen single parents do it. How they do it is just, it's like they're both mother and father. But how do you do that without going insane? <laughs> you know, you get a job and then you have to raise your kids and you bring them to school. And it's just difficult. When you have a, a father figure, it makes it so much easier because it's the both of you. It's not just the one of you. So it was tough for my mother. Again, my mother was an amazing housewife and mother to us girls. She did a phenomenal job taking care of the house. But then when she got sick, my father, my father would just, you know, on the days when she didn't feel well or she was in the hospital and she just came back home from the hospital, he would take care of the, the cooking and the well, his, his cooking was, eh, this is all right. <laughs> Not like my mother's, though. But, no, oh, he tried. He tried. You know, the cooking, the cleaning, he did all of that. He helped her out, and I thought that was great. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, when we were all born, yes, he did help out when we were babies. I don't think my mother did that all on her own. Because, again, when you have a child... You have to have rest. You get up at 2 or 3 in the morning for the feedings. <laughs> I said, well, someone has to do that. Change the diaper. I think my father did at one point change my diaper. <laughs> and, I mean, he was the type that would just try to make me laugh. He would tell me stories. He would just do things that would just... That's why we had that bond when I was growing up. But now my mother... Me became close after my father passed away. But the thing is that I, at the time, was going through so much in my life that it, I didn't really think about all that my actions at the time of what if I would do if I left her because I don't think she would have been able to handle it there were many times when she was just ready to give up and it was just really difficult for her to go out without her husband in her life I mean they were so close they were together they were married for a long time and then when he left it was like very hard on her and I used to watch her I'm like mom you got to pull yourself together you got to be strong now you're the matriarch of the family but it was never the same after that. Have, not having a father figure kind of bothered me too. I missed having that male presence. A part of me was just upset because he was gone from this earth too soon. You know, it's like 63. To me, that's pretty young. That's not even senior citizen. I didn't even, he didn't even look his age, to be honest with you. I looked at pictures of my father and my mother when they were married and i'm like boy what a handsome man i said mom you lucked out he's like he was a good man well i said to my mother well that's the type of man i'm looking for and i think i found him in this fourth man the fourth guy i said to him you remind me of my father because you're a hard worker you're good at what you do you are good at what you do a hundred times better at what you do you're focused and committed you're driven, but you're also passionate and romantic. You know, not many men have that. If you think about, well, I think about all the relationships I were in, I would never go back to them because they treated me terribly. And my mother knew that. My mother had said to me, this man that you're telling me about, see, now she hasn't had the opportunity to meet him because she's not here. But um, I will tell you, she she would be proud. <clears throat> because she says he's a good man. She's always watching out for me, taking care of me, believing in me, praying with me. He's religious. But I could start taking him to church over here and go to church services over there. I'd be traditional. Have a traditional marriage. Now, people are going to say, what do you mean by traditional? Well, think about this. 
There's open marriages, which I don't like, because that's like saying, well, you know, me and my husband are married, but we can have other people on the side. Uh-uh, no, that's cheating. That's cheating. I don't care what anybody says, open marriage. That's ridiculous. I want him to be, quote, the head, like my father was, but also equal where we do things together as a, a husband and wife should, as a couple, you do things together. But I want him to be in charge. Why? Because that's how it should be. Not saying that I'm old, well, I might be old-fashioned because I even talked about that with my mother. Me and my mother were the, the understanding that men are supposed to take care of the household, the wife, the kids, you know, go out there and work. I mean, we can do the working too. I can work closely with them. I have a problem with that. But there are other things that are to be considered. In a marriage, everything is equal. But at the same time, my father, again, with the two jobs, he couldn't support us with just one. And I think back in those days, it was a different time. And I thought, well, he's doing a phenomenal job. He was very dedicated to his job, but he also made time for the family. And I said, well, that's what I want. Yes, you, could, you put work second, you put everybody else above you, number one. That's important. That's how you keep the marriage and the family going. See, if you put your family second, there'll be conflict. There'll be tension. There'll be arguments, and I don't want that. Because then you think, well, kids will be like thinking to themselves, oh, mommy and daddy are fighting, and maybe it's our fault. See, children will always insinuate it's their fault whenever grown-ups fight. I said, no, it's not your fault. But they don't want to see that. They don't want to see arguments between their mother and father. They want to see, like, happiness and good times. And I said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be the greatest parents. We're going to take our kids anywhere they want to go, have a little vacation time. Can't always be constantly working. It's not good. First of all, it's not good for your health. That's number one. And number two, that's, again, going to grow tension and conflict because children be like, well, my mom and dad don't spend time with us. We don't spend time together as a family. They're constantly working. See, for me, when I have my first child, I would like to think I could stay home and take care of her or him, but I believe it's going to be a her, because I don't want strangers taking care of her. My mother said the same thing. You know, when my sister was pregnant with her first child and she had to go back to work after a certain amount of time, she dropped her child off over here because she knew that my mother would be, you know, take very good care of it, very good care of her grandson. I was there to help out when I could with my nephew. did a great job. And I think to myself, I could do the same thing with my own. I don't, you know what it is? A lot of, and I see it today with a lot of families nowadays, especially women that want to go back to work. Why don't you just spend time with your children? Watch them grow. Watch them develop. You know, you miss those crucial moments in your life. You think you can marry to someone who can bring home a certain amount of money and you're fine with it. Instead of having to put, because daycare is expensive, and Who's really going to watch your children? Are you really going to entrust your children to a stranger? I won't. Sorry. I will not do that. I don't trust anybody. I just don't. Not everybody loves children. You hear the horror stories of putting your children in daycare, and then you have a daycare worker who's having a bad day, and then she attacks your child. Was that called for while you're having a bad You know, you shouldn't even be in the daycare business if you cannot take care of a child. You're going to yell and scream and hit it? You better not. You're going to have a problem with me if I even see one mark or bruise on my child. I'll tell you right now, and it will not be pleasant. So I say to myself, I'd rather stay home for the first three to four years with the child until they go to school. 
because you think to yourself, those are the crucial moments. You want to see their, their first, when they walk, they talk, when they crawl. Those are important, but you think like mothers of today and today's generation, oh, I need to go back to work, but why? I'm the opposite. <laughs> I wouldn't mind staying home with the kids because that's important. They're bit, you, you, I don't trust anybody. I told my mother that. I said, I don't trust anybody. And she feels the same way. When you hear the horror stories of children being left in daycare or you hire someone, if you have the money, hire a nanny, but then you have to put cameras around and make sure that that child is not being hurt. Because there are nannies out there that will just abuse children, thinking that they're not going to get caught. Well, there's a camera right there watching the whole thing and recording it. And I would not want to see that. That really bothers me. That would put me on edge. So me and my mother are in agreement with that. Me and my mother were in agreement with a lot of things. That's why I attack women, because women do stupid things. And I said to her, I don't have female friends. Why? Because we just don't see eye to eye. Some of the mentality, some of their stupidity, I don't want that rubbing off on me. You know, I see how they act. You know, again, I don't have good rapport with them. I had better rapport with men. Why? <laughs> to be honest with you, men don't sit there and criticize women. Women criticize women for whatever. Women are jealous of other women. It's like, you know, all right, whatever. And I said to my mother, even the times that I was at these jobs, I never associated myself with the females. We did not get along. It's like, we cannot see eye to eye. They found fault with everything. I was like, I would rather work for a man any day. Actually, I did have managers that were male. I had better rapport with them than I did with females. Females are just very hard to please, you know. Anything you try to do to please them, they're not satisfied. And again, as far as female friends, I disassociated myself with female friends because the one female friend I had who I thought was a lifelong friend, well, two months after my mother passed away, she left me the nastiest voicemail. Where did that come from? I didn't have time to sit there and try to figure out what made her upset. I was grieving for my mother. I was not at the right frame of mind. So don't start doing that to me when I'm in the moment of grieving. I mean, seriously, why would you even do that? That is like shameful on your part. So I, that's, yeah, good riddance then. You know, and she was never around anyway. I, you know, that's another thing. You try to make plans with people and they make excuses. I said, do not procrastinate. Stop making excuses because again, if something happens to someone, you're going to regret it. You're going to say, why didn't I have the time to spend with them? Why did I keep putting this off? What? It's like, why, why, why? All that guilt's going to eat at you. That's why I miss my mother. My mother, whenever I was at my downtime and I was depressed, she kind of made it, like my father, made me see that life was beautiful. In other words, open yourself up. You've been hurt how many times in your life? I said, three times. That's right. And she didn't know exactly what they did to me because I never, I kind of did not tell her the, the whole truth of what they did to me. But I will tell you one thing. She says, because even after she passed away, I had a hard time with everything. I still have a hard time with everything. I try to make the best of it and think, well, now I have someone who I really, really, truly love and I really care about. And I tell her that in my dreams. That's why I think that white light's coming. She's giving me a sign here. You are going to be okay. I don't want to see you upset. I don't want to see tears. I don't want to see you crying. I want to see you with a measure of happiness. That was the one thing she had wished for me before she had gone. 
She wanted to see me happy. She goes, open up your heart. You're not going to do me a disservice if you, if you share your heart with someone. What, would, what makes you think that, that you would hurt me in that way? You know, I've always said this. She said to me even before, before she passed, she said, I want to see you happy. I do not want to see you depressed. I saw you when I was alive. I saw how depressed you were. And a part of me thought, what can I do to make my daughter happy? What can I do? I said, Mom, do you know of anybody? I used to think that maybe she could find me somebody. Because I was hurt three times. And I thought, well, I don't know if I can get hurt again. And she goes, open your heart. Open your heart to love. Think about it in this, this term. I don't want to see you alone. You know that if you're alone in this world... You will be miserable. I said, you're right. I will be miserable. I'll be truly, truly miserable. I don't think I'd want to live if I was alone. I, want, I miss the company of a man. I miss the loving of a man. The man who really gives me pleasure and joy and thinks of me 24-7 and cares about me. It's very rare, and it, but it's not impossible. And then you know that God, God, you look to God and you pray. You will find someone. That person, there's always a right person for everybody, right? You make that connection. But she said to me, I want to see you happy. I want to see you married. I want that for you. Because right now, what I'm seeing is you're sad. You're alone. You're upset. You're not doing good for your health when you have that. You've got too much stress going on. I said, well, there's a lot of things that I want happen. And hopefully, she goes, just believe. Pray to God. Believe in yourself. Believe that good things will happen. When I once see that happiness and I see him here physically with you and you are going to take your vows in front of however you're going to do it, I will be the happiest. And then I will know that you are well taken care of. My mind will be at rest. My soul will be at rest. But just do yourself a favor. Open your heart. You deserve love. You don't deserve to be alone. You don't deserve to be hurt. You tell me he's a good man. I said, yes, he's a very good man. Well, there you go. Open your heart to him. So I, I will do whatever I promised my mother I will. But I sometimes wonder what it would have been like if she hadn't passed. I wanted her to see me at least walk down the aisle, and I always feel like it wasn't fair. You know, my, my, I said my older sister had my father. My other sister had my mother. It's my turn. Neither parent. And I always thought my parents would be around for a long time. See? See what happens when you... When you're young, you think, oh, they're going to be around for a long time. You talk about the future as if it's actually going to happen, right? But then you think to yourself, life happens. Illness. Christ. Sometimes you can't prevent it. Other times you can't. But you think to yourself, my parents will be around a long time. They'll see the happiness. They'll see the joy. They'll see everything. It'll be wonderful. It'll be great. It'll be terrific. It'll be just wonderful. It'll be magical. It'll be, you know, they'll get to see me become a success. They'll get to see me married. And then they'll be grandparents to my kids. But, but I know that they're watching from up above. And they're with me in spirit. So again, you still have the love of your, the people in your life. You never forget them. You keep them close to your heart. But I'm telling this to anybody out there who's ever lost a loved one, open up your heart. 
I know a lot of people say you've been hurt many times. Let, you're letting yourself heal. But you're not doing a disservice if you're letting someone else into your heart. Do you know the greatest thing about love? Love is beautiful. Love is priceless. Love is priceless. You can't put a price tag on love. People start doing that, then, then that's not love, right? Love is a beautiful feeling when you know someone is thinking about you, even if they're not close now, but they will be. Just think of it in those terms. And it's a beautiful feeling. And that's why I say to myself that I'm lucky to have someone that I truly love, even though we're not there yet. I told my mother, and I promised her I would get them down here before the end of the year because, again, I can't afford not to be around him. I can't afford to lose him. He's told me that, too. I said, well, then here you go. We have something in common. We have, believe it or not, we have a lot of things in common. Our backgrounds are similar, and I think similar. They're not exactly the same, but they're similar. But I've watched him, and I said, you know what? He's the man for me. And I know we can make a great life together. I believe that in my heart. But my mom said, I want to see that. When he comes, I want you to introduce him to me. I know I'm not going to be there physically, but I'll see from up above what kind of a man he is. And my mother will probably give me some type of signal. I tell you, there's a white light in the hallway. That's her angel light. I've seen it a few times. I'm not hallucinating. Now everyone's like, oh my God, are you? No, no, no. You know, when she passed, I had stopped celebrating holidays, birthdays. My last birthday before, two months before, I wasn't aware of her surroundings. It was so, so much pain, but she said, I want to make my daughter's birthday special because even though I'm not feeling well, I still don't want her to be miserable, but it was hard for me to celebrate my birthday without her. And it's been five years, <laughs> and the last birthday was very terrible because I didn't want to be around. I didn't think I had value in this world, that I meant something to anybody. But now that's changed. And I do have someone that I truly care about. And I want us to have a happily ever after. He's the only man that I truly love. He knows who he is. And I'll probably tell him again with another video, just to let him know what I'm thinking of him and I'm feeling for him. But my mother says, you can open up your heart. I'm not going to be disappointed. We will always be with you in spirit. Remember that. So I'm going to let you guys go because it's almost 9 o'clock. And it's almost late. I may go to bed early because I'm a little tired. Um, just want to say, remember, when you lose someone, you never forget them. You, you, whether it's your significant other, your parents, whoever it was in your life that meant something to you that was very special in your eyes was very important to you. You always have room in your heart to open up your heart to someone for love because again, a lot of people shy away from the think, oh, I'm hurt too many times and no, give it a chance. You might be surprised. You're not doing a disservice if you do that. Trust me on that. So anyway, I'm gonna let you guys go. God bless all of you. Stay positive, stay strong. Take care.